morning. Uh, to follow up with what Luke was saying there, um, yesterday we had the, the privilege to vote, um, something that we uh, at times may take for granted, but I, I hope that um, as American citizens, we are grateful that the Lord has uh, blessed us with the ability to um, vote and to elect leaders. Uh, but I also want to be reminded that um, our king is the king of kings. Um, we are uh, first and foremost members of his kingdom and his community, brothers and sisters knit together uh, by the blood of Jesus. Um, so as we talk about the election and as people have different reactions, I want to encourage you to um, remember that it is uh, the Lord God who places leaders over nations. And he does so at different times for different reasons, sometimes to bless um, and sometimes for judgment, but that in any case, uh, we are always called to love with the love of Jesus. So as we talk about this election, let us extend the civility and the love of Christ to one another, to be humble, to be gracious, um, and to be uh, wise as we uh, love one another. Uh, this is the first uh, of our three Global Gospel Advancement Week lectures. Um, before I do that, just want to say a quick word about an opportunity to serve. Uh, every spring break, Covenant has the opportunity to travel and learn from the church working in other places. This year, there are three break-on impact opportunities. Uh, there's a group traveling to London to work with New Life Masagar Church, uh, where you will learn from South Asian immigrant populations in London, um, and you get the bonus of getting to hang out with one Leah Jones. Um, there are a few spots left for the Clarkston Georgia Week as well, which is uh, down near Atlanta and one of the most diverse uh, populations in the country. Uh, and then the third is visiting the Granberries and others with Sacred Road Ministries in Yakima, uh, Washington on the Yakima Indian Reservation. You can pick up applications in the Great Hall today or tomorrow, um, or you can drop by Christiana Fitzpatrick's office. Uh, now, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker. Um, Chris Granberry is a church planter and pastor and missionary uh, who's connected to Sacred Road Ministries and is the pastor of Hope Fellowship on the Yakima Indian Reservation in Yakima, Washington. Uh, he is here with his wife, Mary. He has four children that have and are currently attending Covenant College, and Marie, Beth, Morgan, and David. Um, he's gonna come and speak to us about, um, well, I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, let's just give a warm Scots welcome to our brother, Chris Granberry. Well, good morning. I am uh, really excited to be with you guys and, and be here with my wife and also a bunch of my kids, most of my kids. Uh, it is a strange day uh, to, uh, to be speaking publicly and to be with you guys. Um, today, I think some of us are heartbroken. Some of us are ecstatic because last Saturday, my oldest daughter, Anne-Marie, got married. Um, that's what I woke up thinking about this morning. But uh, no, it, is, it really is great to be with you guys and uh, really appreciate Chaplain Lowe and everybody else who uh, worked it all out for us to be here. Um, so there was one day I was, uh, had blocked out the whole day to do paperwork. Uh, you don't really think about missionaries doing paperwork, uh, but as it turns out, there's a good bit to do 
Uh, I'm really bad at paperwork. I hate paperwork. Uh, I don't normally sit in the office at a desk on a typical day. And so the paperwork had piled up, and I blocked out the day and said, I got to I got to really focus and bear down and just lock myself in the house and do paperwork all day. And so I had just settled down with this big pile of paperwork at about 8.30 in the morning. I was planning on working until it was done, so probably 6 o'clock that night. And the phone rang, and I had already told myself, I'm not going to answer the phone. If it rings, I'm not even going to look at it. And as soon as I really got settled into this paperwork, the phone rang. And I thought everything in me was saying, don't look at it, don't answer it, you're doing paperwork. But for some reason, I picked up the phone. I'm, even while I'm doing it, don't look, don't look. Don't, and I did, I looked. And it was one of, it was really my best friend on the reservation, really more than a friend. He's, a, he's my native father, uh, Wendell uh, Hannigan. He doesn't look like Wendell Hannigan, uh, if you ever see a picture or meet him. But a uh, very uh, powerful native leader, native elder, uh, political and religious leader for the Yakima Nation. So it was Wendell, and if it had been anybody else, uh, even actually my own father, I wouldn't have answered it, but it was Wendell, so I answered it. And Wendell said, hey, are you busy? And everything in me saying, yes, 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 very busy, can't do anything else. But out of my mouth comes, no, what's up? And uh, turns out Wendell had a wonderful plan for my day. Uh, he said, um, I have a good friend, she's a single mother, somebody I had never met, but a friend of Wendell's, single mom, uh, who had been away out of town, and she got in late the previous night uh, and discovered that her home had been uh, burglarized. The doors had been kicked in. Uh, they, had, they kicked in the doors so violently they broke the door frames. Uh, and whoever did it uh, had gone through the house and stolen things out of specific spots. So she pretty much knew it was her ex-husband or at least some of his friends that had done this. So they kicked in both doors. Uh, they stole the house keys. So even if she figured out how to secure the doors, the, the locks would be no good. They were coming back again. Uh, and Wendell said, this is a friend of mine. And, and uh, she called Wendell asking for help. And he said, I know that you repair a lot of doors. And that's true. Um, on the reservation, there's lots and lots of break-ins. Lots of doors get kicked in. A lot of times it's the homes of like little old ladies, stuff like that. They don't know how to fix their doors, so they call me. So I have repaired a lot of doors. So this was nothing special. This was nothing unique or even interesting, actually. This was kind of a normal day on the res. Somebody's always getting robbed. Somebody's always, you know, there's always car wrecks. There's always funerals. There's always suicides. It's just a, it's a normal thing. So I'm still thinking paperwork, you know. But Wendell's saying, would you come and help me fix these doors? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll come. But I felt bad about it. And that sounds weird because you think, well, this is a wonderful opportunity. But I felt bad about it because I had committed to do this paperwork that I've been putting off for however long. But I left all that and I went and drove, you know, 15 or 20 minutes to Arlen's house, measured the door frames and everything. And I'm thinking, well, at least I get to spend the day with Wendell because everything he had said sounded like he was going to be there. As soon as I got there, he said, well, I've got some other meetings, so I have to go. So he took off. So now it's just me doing doors. And uh, so I measure the doors, and I make a list of everything I need, and I drive 45 minutes to the hardware store, spend an hour rounding up all the stuff, and drive 45 minutes back to Arlen's house, fix the doors. And the whole time I'm working on doors, uh, Arlen's going through the house, and this, that's her lady's name, Arlen. She's going through the house, and it's just one crisis after another. And so she would be in the kitchen. They had trashed the house. They had broken stuff. Uh, knocked, you know, flipped over furniture. So she's going through the house, straightening everything out. 
And she would be doing something in the kitchen, and I'd hear her say, Grandma's beadwork or something. And she would run to the bedroom and open a chest or something, dig around in a closet, dig down into the corner where it was hidden, and then she would burst into tears because it was gone. And she kept thinking of one more precious thing after another. Some of these things are 100 years old, family heirlooms that probably her ex-husband had come in and stolen. So she's just having one crisis after another all day long. And she's a, a native lady, not in the mood to make friends, not in, to, in the mood to meet a random white guy, you know. Uh, so she's keeping her distance. Uh, I'm really not supposed to be, I try not to be one-on-one -on -one with women in the community, so I'm kind of trying to keep my distance too because I don't want rumors and false accusations, anything like that to go on. So we're both feeling awkward, and, and she's freaked out. And so finally, when the day's done, the doors are all fixed, and now it's really going to, when I fix doors, they're, they're really fixed. Like, it's going to be hard to kick them in now. You know, you're going to do structural damage to the house, you know, kicking in. So it takes a while. But I'm also dyslexic, so I always put the doorknobs on backwards first so that the, the robbers can lock you in the house. That's, <laughs> and I don't realize it until all the screws are really tight. And then I have to take it all apart again, flip it around, do it, you know, so it's, oh. Hate doorknobs. Anyway, so finally all that's done, and now I'm handing her the keys, which is weird because it's like she won a new car, but she didn't. I don't know what to say. So I give her the keys to her house, and then I left, and it was all really awkward. And on the way home, I don't know if it's spiritual warfare. I don't know if it's just me, but I start, these thoughts start rolling around in my head, and I start thinking, what kind of what man are you really? Like, you said you were going to do paperwork. Like, you made a commitment to do this thing, and you didn't do it. You totally ditched it. What kind of missionary goes into somebody's house and doesn't figure out how to share the gospel with them? You spent the whole day there. Like, you couldn't figure out how to share the gospel with them. You didn't even pray with her. What kind of pastor does that? You know, and so by the time I got home, I was really pretty down in the dumps, you know. And so I just kind of went through the rest of the evening. I tried to act happy with my family and act like everything was okay, but I was pretty bummed out. Next day I got up and I did 10 hours of paperwork, and then I forgot about the whole thing. Well, two weeks later the phone rings, I pick it up, it's Wendell, and I was like, oh, you know, here we go again. So I answered, hey Wendell, what's up? He said, hey, did you hear about Arlen? I was like, oh no, somebody kicked your doors in again. <laughs> no, I didn't hear about Arlen, what's going on? He said, well, she's running for tribal council on another reservation about two and a half hours south of where we live. We live on the Yakima Reservation in Washington State. She's running for tribal council on the Warm Springs Reservation in Oregon. And I thought, well, that, I didn't say this, but I thought, well, that's kind of stupid. Like, there's no way she's going to get elected down there. She's been living in White Swan for 20 years or 30 years or whatever. And so I said, well, I thought she was from White Swan. He said, no, she married a guy, moved up here, but she's from Warm Springs. I was like, oh, okay. Well, he went on to tell me, Arlen's a Christian. He didn't tell me that on the front end. Uh, she's brilliant. She's working on her PhD. I didn't know that. Um, none of it would have really mattered, I guess, except I probably wouldn't have felt so bad at the end of the day that day and maybe not so awkward all day long. But um, I just thought, wow, you know, learning all kind of new things. And he said, yeah, I just thought you'd want to know. I said, okay. So hung up. Two weeks later, phone rings. I look at it. It's Wendell. Hey, Wendell, what's up? He said, hey, did you hear about Arlen? I'm like, no. What's going on with Arlen? He said, she got elected. Wrong again. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. Missionaries, we're wrong a lot. Like, you just got to get used to it. Living and working cross-culturally, you're wrong a lot. And so I was like, ah, oh, hey, wrong again. Okay. So she got elected. 
to, to the tribal council. That's like the U.S. Senate. You know, that's for the Warm Springs Nation down in Oregon. And he said the first thing she did was call Wendell. And she said, what do we need to do to get Chris to bring his people to Warm Springs? And so it's, it's a tribal community. It's a collectivist mindset, right? So a lot of people don't really, on the res, they don't really use the word sacred road or whatever or Hope Fellowship. Um, people that come to work with us, they, they, the community calls them Chris's people. <laughs> because, and people have mixed emotions about that. Uh, I do too, so, but that's okay. So, but they kind of view me as the chief, and so these are all my people. And so that was her question. What do we need to do to get Chris's people to come to Warm Springs? Because our community needs to experience the love and the light and the hope that Chris's people are bringing to the Yakima Reservation. Um, and I was sitting there with my mouth open. Because you, you remember the way I felt on the way home that day after working at her house. You know, felt like a failure, felt like I had messed up, whatever. It's just, it's amazing how the Lord can use certain things, certain moments, and he makes them way bigger than you'd ever expect. And then Wendell really shocked me. The next thing he said, Wendell doesn't claim to be a Christian, but most people that hear him speak, speak think he is. Uh, they even argue with me about it sometimes, and I was like, I want him to be. I'm just telling you, he doesn't say he is. But he said, isn't it interesting? This is Wendell. He said, isn't it interesting that God let Arlen's doors get kicked in so that she could throw open the doors for the church to go to Warm Springs? And uh, later, what Wendell actually calls Sacred Road and what we're doing he calls it the reinvasion of Native America. And so now when he talks about Arlen's house and the doors being kicked in, he said God allowed Arlen to go through a home invasion to open up the reinvasion of Warm Springs. Well, Isaiah 58 has really been kind of a cornerstone passage for us all along. It's whenever I don't know what to do, uh, and there's a lot of those situations don't know what to do. I go back to Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 12, and I can, we've been on the reservation for over 13 years, and not knowing what to do is a very common experience, but Isaiah 58 has never failed me. Whenever I go to Isaiah 58, it always gives me tracks to run on. So I wanted to share it with you, and you can kind of think about this in terms of Arlen's story and that, that story, but God says to his people, Isaiah 58, verse 6 through 12, Is not this the kind of fasting, or maybe the sacrifice, that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness, actually the translation would be the righteous one, your righteous one, I like that better. Then your righteous one will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself or pour yourself out on behalf of the hungry 
and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So God's people had gotten to a point, and maybe you've been there too, I know I have been. Uh, college was actually a big time where I felt this way throughout most of my college years. I got married before I finished college, and I kind of quit feeling this way when I got married. But before that, when I was in college, I really felt like, like I kind of had everything I wanted pretty much, almost. But I really didn't, at the same time, I didn't really feel blessed. I felt like I had accumulated a lot of stuff, kind of. And I had opportunities, but in a lot of ways they didn't really feel like blessings. And I think God's people were kind of feeling that way at this point, too. They're, they're sort of feeling like, you know, we're, we don't really have any major complaints, but at the same time we don't feel an intimacy with God. We don't really feel like God is blessing us, per se, uh, even though we kind of have everything like we like it. And so I think they kind of got together and had a meeting and said, you know, what's the most spiritual thing we can do? Maybe that's the problem. Uh, maybe if we can figure out the most spiritual thing and start really doing that, then maybe God will bless us. And in college, the groups that I was involved with, campus ministry and stuff, the most spiritual thing you could do was have your daily quiet time and never miss one. Um, and, and that's in this case, in, in Israel... I think it was, it was uh, fasting, you know. Uh, they they might have been a little heavy, those guys, like me. Uh, they liked eating, and so they assumed the most spiritual thing we can do is stop eating. You know, surely God doesn't want us to eat. And so we'll fast, and then God will bless us, right? And in college, for us, it was, if you can have the most quiet times in a row without missing one, then you'll be blessed. And the thing is, it almost automatically turned into a competition, Right? And people were really sneaky about it. Like in, in like a prayer circle, somebody would say, well, I really need you all to pray for me because, you know, I've had 115 quiet times in a row, but I feel like I'm about to miss one, you know. And it's tricky like that, you know. So, and I failed miserably at that, you know. I'd get like six or eight maybe and then pff, fail. So um, I didn't bring it up much. But, but these folks, they were fasting. And so God says, no, 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 you're barking up the wrong tree. He says, this is the kind of fast I choose. If you're going to deny yourself food, give it to somebody who needs it. Don't just not eat it. Give it to somebody else. And he said, since we're talking about food, let's talk about clothes. Let's talk about your house. Let's talk about everything that you've been given. So the question kind of comes up, what if you took all the resources, all the abilities, all the gifts, all the energy that the Lord has given you, what if you said, you know what? The Lord's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry about me. I can take everything that I've been given, whatever it is. And that's kind of a fun thing. Let's try to identify it all. It's really amazing when you start to really count your blessings and try to identify everything that the Lord has given you uh, and then ask the question, what, what would it be like, what would happen if I took all those different resources and gifts and abilities 
and I pointed them all in the same direction somehow? What if my car, what if, well, I don't know, what if everything, my degree, whatever I've learned at Covenant, whatever, you know, whatever it is, what if I were able to take everything the Lord's given me and point it all in the same direction, maybe something special would happen. Maybe something really cool would happen. What if I pushed it all? What if I pushed all my resources away from me and, and kind of gave it to somebody else, trusting that the Lord's going to take care of me? Notice the if-thens here. The Lord says, if, if you do this, if you go out on this limb, I will be there for you. Look at all those promises. See, those are the kind of blessings that the people were wanting. These are the kind of blessings that we were wanting when I was in college, but I didn't even know it. Like, I, if somebody had said, well, what are you asking God? To, I, don't, I don't know. I just don't, you know, I just, something different. But he says, if you commit, if you pour yourself out, to, to loose the chains of it. See, this sounds like a job for Superman. Loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, and break every yoke. The first time I read that, I'm like, I can't do that. I don't even know what that means. But the Lord knew we were going to say that, so he gave us verse 7. It says, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. He says, then all these amazing things are going to happen. Your light will break forth like the dawn. The healing will come. Your righteousness will go before you. Your righteous one will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call. The Lord will answer. You'll cry and you'll say, here I am. That little phrase is shocking. It would have been shocking to the people that heard it in Isaiah's day too because that's essentially like saying, um, at your service. You like in an old movie when the butler comes in, you know? And the, the owner of the house says, I need you to do this, that, and the other. And the butler says, at your service. That's the same kind of phrase, here I am. And that's what Samuel, little Samuel said to Eli in the middle of the night. Here I am. What do you need? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And that's, the Lord says that. He, as you pour yourself out for your neighbors who are suffering, for the afflicted and the oppressed, the trapped, the Lord comes to you and he says, how can I help you? How can I help you do this? You know, here I am, I'm here for you. And then these promises in verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. Like I said, there's so many times, I could tell you story after story about times on the reservation where I had no idea what to do. But it says the Lord will guide you. Those moments aren't so scary anymore. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. <laughs> We better pray about it. We need the Lord to guide us. And he's done it a million times before. He's going to do it again. He'll guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And he'll strengthen your frame. Um, Wendell recently, not a few years ago, gave me an Indian name. Um, it's a really huge honor. It's a rare thing uh, for a non-Indian person to receive an Indian name. Wendell says he's never heard of a a white man being given an Indian name. But the name he picked for me, it sounds kind of funny, it's Mool Mool, M-O-O-L-M-O-O-L. -O 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 but it's a huge honor because what it actually means is a, a spring of water that bubbles up out of the ground. There was a place on our reservation called Mool Mool, and it was an artesian spring uh, where the water came up out of the ground. And our reservation is a dry and sun-scorched land. It's a desert. 
we only get three inches of rain a year. So Mulmul was a very special place to gather. Uh, and when you came to Mulmul, there was shade and shelter from the sun. There was food because there were berries and roots and wild animals that you could hunt. Uh, there were friends and family members that would gather there. It was a, it was a gathering place and kind of a staging area uh, that peop where people would gather and then they would go hunting or they would go to gather traditional foods. Um, it was a place of safety. It was a place of community. Um, and G uh, Wendell says, I see Jesus flowing out of you, he's talking to me, and my people, uh, like the water that flowed out of Mulmul for the people. And the reason I'm telling you that is I'm asking you to, to pray. Pray for me and my wife, my family, our staff, our church, that we really would fulfill that, that we would live up to that name. Um, and Isaiah 58 makes it clear that it's possible to be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, where people come to find life and to find satisfaction for the deep thirst that they have in their souls. And when that happens, you see verse 12, it's talking about com a community being redeemed, renewed, restored by the power of the love and the truth of God. And that's our desire on the reservation. We're, we're talking a lot these days, this is my last thing, but we're talking a lot these days about racial reconciliation, and rightfully so. It's a tremendous need uh, in America, in the church. We need for Native America to be in that mix. We need Native America to be part of that conversation. Uh, and right now, they're not. And so um, the reason I mention that is because I think you guys can help us make that happen. And you're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do that, right? Just take some baby steps. Take some little steps in that direction. Come talk to me or my wife or my kids uh, in the next few days or after that. The kids will be around. Go check out our website. Just learn a little bit more and pray and say, Lord, what can I do to help move things in that direction? What would reconciliation between the American church and Native America look like? There's a native pastor I really like a lot. His name's Craig Smith. No, it doesn't sound like a native name, but he really is. Native Christian. He said the church in America, everybody's wondering what's wrong with the church in America. He says one of the things wrong with the church in America is missing part of its body. There's three million American Indians in the United States today, but only about two to three percent claim to be Christian. We essentially have an unreached people group right here in our own country and the American church is missing part of the body. When you meet a Native American who's a believer, there's something really special that happens in your life as a Christian. It's sort of like interacting with a Messianic Jew, I think. And so I would encourage you to look into that. Do a little bit, a bit of reading. Ask some questions. Do some research. Just ask yourself, ask the Lord, what can I do to start moving in that direction? Just a little bit at a time. I know you've got tons of other stuff on your plate, but honestly, we can't afford to ignore our first neighbors. We're clearly called to love our neighbors. And American Indians are the very first neighbors of the American church. So we need to ask ourselves these questions. Thank you.
Let's stand and close with the doxology. Praise God from whom all.